0: Father, I just thank you for um, the truth and the beauty and the majesty of even those words that we sang, because they were about you and your truth and your beauty and your majesty. I thank you that even in the dark night, those dark nights of the soul, you hold on to us for you will never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that when the oceans rage, we don't need to be afraid, because your love never fails. I think that the psalmist invites us to taste and see, oh, taste and see, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That is why we gather here today, Lord. We want to see the goodness of your glory. We want to taste of the goodness of your grace that you have lavished upon us. It is right there. You are not stingy with it. No matter what's going on in our lives right now, no matter what's going on in our world right now, your grace is sufficient. Your power is perfected in our weaknesses. So Lord, let us not leave here today without tasting of your grace. As we continue to worship you in the word, which is a great grace gift all on its own, use it to strengthen our very souls that we would not walk out of here the same way we walked in. Lord, I pray that, that only your words would come out of this mouth and that only what you would have heard would be heard by the ear of the hearer lord but i pray too that your spirit would take those words and press them down deep into our hearts that we would be conformed into the image of christ lord it is for his glory and in his name that we gather and all god's people said Amen. Please grab your seats and grab your Bibles and we are in Nehemiah for the last week and I just want to ask you a question. What have we learned from Nehemiah? What have we learned from Nehemiah? It's an open question and I'd love some answers. How about what have you learned from Nehemiah? The Bible comes inside the house of God first. Awesome, Frank. That was, that was, that's a beautiful truth. And we did see that in Nehemiah. Well done. Others? Awesome. So this guy says that the, that the Lord requires us to get engaged in the, and get in the fight and the battle. That the work is not all his to do, but he uses us. That's another great truth. These are encouraging. We to that we have to work together. Awesome. Have they already put that stuff up? Okay. No, I guess not. That's good. I'm like, are they giving an answer? Yes, Anita. That he's not, that we don't need to be concerned about what's going on in the politics of the world. And that's going to come out today, Anita. So that's why the Spirit gave you that to share today. So thank you for that. So we are in our eighth and final week. So first of all, thank you for encouraging my heart because honestly, I wasn't really expect. I was expect. I had already prepared my sarcastic answer for when you didn't give an answer. So thank you guys for having great answers and for shielding me from my own sarcasm. So I appreciate that. Lord Jesus, thank you, seriously. Um, but what we are in our eighth week right and so what we've seen we've been talking about this building God's kingdom And what we've seen is that Nehemiah was this man who was moved by a need that God's people had grown cold to the kingdom of God so he's moved by this need and so then he comes he gets permission from the Persian king and who he goes back to actually we'll see that at the end of the book um, and he, he gets permission from the king to go and rally the troops. And we see him rally the troops. And then, they, and then in chapter 3, we saw how they all worked together, shoulder to shoulder, and next to him, and next to him. So we're all in this together, as somebody just mentioned. And then what we saw in chapter 4 is that when God is at work, when the spirit is on the move, Satan strives to keep up. And there will be opposition. But we're to take, we're supposed, we're, we're to take the fight to the enemy and attack the, he, the opposition head on. And then we saw in chapter 5... Um, what do we see in chapter five? I'm trying to remember now. Chapter five: the that we were. Um, we were all called to be leaders, right? Was that chapter five? Yeah, that we were all called to be leaders. That 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 not it wasn't just Nehemiah who's been gifted to lead, but we're all called to rally the people because we're all leading somebody. And when that and when, when the people of God are led into the Word of God and into prayer to God, it creates. This revival in the people of God, and that's where it starts in the house of God. And so we see that, that not only are we called to lead, but we're also leading revival within the house of God, within God's people, whether it's physically in a building or not is not what I'm talking about, but within God's people. And then we saw last week, so once that revival comes and we see God's presence working and doing this miraculous stuff, what do we see? We see that we're to respond to that. This is what I just prayed. We are here to respond to God's grace. When you wake up in the morning, we should respond to God's grace because you woke up in the morning. He did not have to get you up. He did not have to make the sun come up. He did not have to give you a car to drive here in. He did not have to do anything. He chooses to because he is a gracious God. The other thing that we've seen in in this book is there are lots of lists of names. Chapter 3 was pretty much a whole list of names. We saw in chapter 10, well chapter 7, we sort of skipped that because it was another list of names. We saw last week a little bit in chapter 10, it was a list of names. If you did your daily reading today and I'm assuming you did, so just like I have said the last couple weeks because of the because of the the text itself is a historical narrative and because I'm trusting that you've already done the reading, I'm not going to preach it verse by verse like I normally would, but what a lot of chapter 11 and 12 were, were what, if you read it this morning? A list of names. So why? Well, one, here's what it says. One, people, is what, people are what matter to God. Two, people connected to one another matter to God. Guys, it's not just in Nehemiah where there's these list of names. The Bible is full of genealogies. It's full of connectedness. Because God's people connected together is so important to God, he records it a lot. Right? So that's, that's, one, of the, so that's the, one of the other things. And then here's the last thing, is it shows us what Scott just said, that, that God's plan is to build God's kingdom through God's people. Right? It's always been about people. So he takes his message of the gospel and works it through the people who are his messengers for the gospel. And so that that's kind of what we've seen here, and and it's bringing us to this last point in the last three chapters of Nehemiah, and what we're going to see is, here's the struggle for us as God's people. How do we stay faithful to the end? How do we stay faithful to the end? And the big idea I'm asking today, hopefully the question that you'll walk out of here with an answer for, simply from Nehemiah's chapter, Nehemiah, it's all over scripture, but from Nehemiah 11 through 13 is, how can you stay faithful in a faithless world? Because sometimes we can read the Bible, and we can see these things, and we can go, okay, that was so much easier for them. Guys, there is nothing happening on the planet Earth right now. Nowhere, not just in America. There is nothing happening on the planet Earth right now that is as bad as what God's people were living under during the time of Nehemiah. Do you understand that, that when, when the Babylonian captivity happened, which was before Nehemiah and why he was allowed to return, that, that like people like Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they were led into captivity. And we go, okay, yeah, and we get to the story, and it's a cool story, and wow, man, look at how victorious they were. Guys, they were led into captivity. You know how they were led? A fishhook was put through their nose, and they walked 900 miles through a desert to their captivity. I don't know a lot of that going on on our planet right now. Praise the Lord. My point is, guys, we, we, we got to stop wringing our hands and looking at what's going on in our nation or in the world and go, oh no, it's never been this bad. God's losing. Guys, it, it's been worse. And God always wins. Right? It's just where our eyes are fixed. So, 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 if we're sitting here going, okay our nation has become, has become, it isn't becoming, it has become a faithless nation, what's going to happen to the church? You've got, your, you've got your kingdoms completely inverted. And what we've got to be doing is going, okay guys, if, if we're, we should be less concerned about the morality of our nation than we are about the spiritual temperature of God's people. Right, if, and I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here, but it's part of why we started doing the prayer time, and we, hey, come, Come to the prayer time if you want. You don't have to come during the prayer time, but you can. But we're trying to open up space for God's people to be moved by God's Spirit to become hot-hearted to the kingdom of God. Because the problem is not out there. It's not those people. Nehemiah never, to Anita's point, Nehemiah never in this book blamed the king of Persia, blamed the kings of Babylon. He, he only ever focuses on Man, God's people have become lukewarm to the things of God. Which is easy to do in a faithless society. I get that. It's easier when everybody's praising Jesus. But that's not where we're at. But let's not lose hope. Because that's not where Nehemiah was either. So, with that as a long introduction, here's what the passage, the three chapters, is going to show us. And I'm just going to give you little snippets of the three chapters. But it's going to show us how do we stay faithful in in a faithless world? We stay faithful... First and foremost, by having our priorities right. Second, by living a life of praise. And third, by living a life of purity. Three words. That's what you need to remember today. You need to remember priorities, praise, and purity. So let's pick it up in our first point. How are we gonna live faithful in a faithless world? By living a life of priority. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out, to, to, to bring out of 10 to live in Jerusalem the, in the holy city. With nine out of ten who remained in their other towns. Look at verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who, were will, who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Guys, un- understand what, all that, what, what that means. That means that what the, the Jerusalem had been rebuilt. The city, the temple had been rebuilt. The walls had been rebuilt. But very few people were living there. Why? Because they were comfortable where they were. They, they'd set up their house. They had, I mean, it wasn't a nice life, necessarily. They were under oppression, but it was their life. It's what they knew. What they're saying, what, what verse 2 is saying is, they, were, they blessed the people willing to let go of what they had to go take care, to go live in God's city. Now think about that in the context of today. Right, what, what, what the rest of chapter, the, the rest of chapter 11 is pretty much a list of, is pretty much a list of names of the people that were willing to go. And guys, it is good and right to acknowledge and celebrate the people who are letting go of the things of this world to grab a hold of the things of the kingdom of God. Because all all we have to do is think back to, if, and I apologize for how long last week was, I do, I, I, I own it, but it was worth celebrating what God's done over 10 years, and the best part of the day was when there were 14 couples standing up here, who all are standing up here because they've done just that. They said, I'm going to, at some level, release my time. I'm going to release my security. I'm going to release my comfort. I'm going to release what I want, and I'm going to grab a hold of kingdom things, because what, what, what the kingdom of God is now on the planet, if you, if you haven't if you haven't caught on to what I've been sh- saying for a long time now, the kingdom of God is the church. Right? That is what, the king, the, what God is doing on the planet now. What Jesus is doing on our planet now is the bride of Christ. It is the church. And so people willing to, be, to, to release some of their junk, and I don't even bad. I don't mean bad stuff. I mean stuff like time, and time with your family, and just to grab a hold of kingdom stuff... For the bride of Christ is worth celebrating. And that's what Nehemiah is. He's like, Man, here are the people who were willing to jump in. Here are the people who had their priorities right. They understood that it was not about their comfort, it was about God's kingdom. So here's the question: Are you willing to leave your place of comfort to step into the kingdom of God? Are you willing to leave your place of comfort? Time, stress, less attacks from the enemy. Whatever those things are, are you willing to let go of those things so that you can grab a hold of Christ more fully? Guys, what we try to do in the body of Christ is it's it's like, it's like okay, I, I you know, and I, again I'm pre- and I'm talking about I am t- preaching to the choir right now in that all of us sitting here. This is what we do. I'm talking about people who are here on a Sunday. They're connected to the Word of God. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to live for the Kingdom of God. But what we still tend to do, what I do, I'll just say, I, what I do is I is I keep like my fingers and my thumb like this, and I try to use my pinkies and go okay. So I, so this is the part of me that I'm still going to grab a hold of Christ with. The problem with that is you can imagine as soon as I hit a bump. Right? My pinkies aren't going to hold on. Are you willing to let go of all of it if that's what it takes? What did Jesus say in Matthew 16? If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. That is not just living in patience with your wife or your husband or your next door neighbor or a, or a bad stomach. Or That is not what your cross is. Your cross is, am I willing to let go of me so that I can grab a hold of him and walk to Calvary? Right? That's what he's asking us to do. Because he says, if you, want to, if you want to save your life, you've got to be willing to lose it. But everyone who wants, who's not willing to lose their life is going to in the end. I want to show you a scene, so stay in Nehemiah or keep a finger in Nehemiah. Go to, um, well, actually, it's going to come up on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but you can. Matthew chapter 10. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10. I'm confused. Mark chapter 10. And I want to show, because I understand that that call to deny, to really to step into that space of denying yourself and following Christ, that's a scary thing. And here's the cool part. We're in really good company. If you're sitting here going, yeah, but I'm not sure I'm ready for that, You know what you are? A disciple of Christ. Like, if you're even just at least wrestling with it, you're a disciple of Christ. Here's how I know that. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 29. It says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there was no one who was left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel. Now, I have you guys, oh, it's, okay. It says, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, Houses and brothers, and listen, a hundredfold in this time. So he's saying, you will get blessed now. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. You know what he's saying there? Uh, The church hasn't started yet. This is long before the cross and Pentecost and everything else. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you're willing to lose the worldly system, which might even include your physical, biological family, and enter into my kingdom family, you just gained hundreds of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's talking about. You just gained houses. Because you know what? If I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I I'm, am and I'm, have no place to go, I can come to my brother's house and he's going to let me in. I just gained his house, whether he knew it or not. He's like, I'm not coming back to this church again. Um, but then it says, and then it, then it says but, but then he, he keeps going. He says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. But here's, here's why I wanted us to, to look at this. Because, guys, this freaked out his disciples and I'm not just talking about the masses of disciples. This freaked out the twelve. Look at what it says in verse 32. See, we have a pericope in our Bibles, at least in mine, and so it breaks this thought up like somehow it's a different thing. Just keep reading. And they were, so this is, as he's saying this, they're on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. I mean, because they're like, they're listening to what this dude's talking about, and they're like, you know, we have, I, what in the world does he mean? And look at what it says. And those who followed were afraid. Guys, if you're sitting here right now going, yeah, but, 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 but, Lord, you don't know my schedule. Yeah, but you don't know my mortgage. Yeah, but you don't. Guys, you're in good company. It's part of the adventure. It really is. But you don't get to walk with Jesus like they did unless you're willing to do what they did. And that's leave everything and follow hard after him. Guys, look at, the, look at how he finishes it up. He, he brings them back to the cross. He says, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the tw- talking to the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen, saying, "Do you see, you see that we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him, and flog him and kill him, Oh, and he's saying, Follow me and do what I did. That sounds like a great plan. And after three days, he will rise. Because there's the victory, right? But we want to skip the suffering and jump right to the victory. And I'm chief among sinners in that regard. That's part of why what we're going to start next week, I think you have them at your table again, is we're going to start our resurrection series and we're calling it Let This Cup Pass Learning to Lament in Light of the Gospel. We are too quick to go, yeah, but I don't, I don't want the suffering part. I don't want the struggle part. I just want to jump right to the victory and the joy and the everything else. And our problem is, the, here's the problem. We've bifurcated those two ideas. We see them as separate. The Bible doesn't. The Bible sees lamenting, what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, walking to the cross, and joy as simultaneous events. How? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. Starting next week, but guys, we have to understand that 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 what he's ultimately saying is living on mission is hard work, but it's worthy work, right? And and what we want to be is we want to be a people on mission. So what is the mission? Well, the mission is to make disciples who make disciples. On your paper again this week, um, it's been on it's been on your table before. It was on your table last week. There. Are, there are stacks of them on the connect table on the way out. Is a thing about, here's what Cornerstone Church is about. And, and what, we've, what we've tweaked a little bit is just the wording, not what we're doing on mission, but the wording of our mission statement, in light of what's happened in the last year in the world and in our nation, and what we see coming in the future years coming up in our nation, is we've got to get better at, we've got to, what I've been saying is, double down on training people to teach God's truth, in the context of community. And so all, all but, but that's not changed in the sense that we've, we've had those three circles like for, I don't know, five years or something. The first one is connect to Christ. The second one is be in community. The third one is engage in the call. And so part of what we had on your table again last week, and again this weekend last week, was this connect card that had these seven questions. All these seven questions are doing it was, you know, do you profess Lord as Jesus as Lord? Have you been baptized? Do you feel like the Lord's placed you in the family in, in this family of God? Do you like? You, you can read. I'm not going to read them all to you. All they're doing is they're saying this is what a life on mission looks like, and what we want to get more serious about moving forward is cultivating lives that are on mission because the time is short, right? The, the, and so, so we have D groups and we have. Um, and we have Sunday gatherings, and we and we preach the gospel every Sunday, and we because we want people connected to Christ, we want people can, to be in community, and we also want people to engage in the call. And so, your table talk question this week that you're not really going to get a time to talk about because I'm going to have somebody, I'm going to have Scott McAllister come up and share with you, but to sort of set the table a little bit. If you look at your table talk question, it's on the back of your bulletin. It says, "As kingdom people, we're called to live in kingdom power." for kingdom glory that we should have as our number one priority that's the point we're on right now live a life of priority as kingdom building but his kingdom not ours and when I say ours I don't just mean individually I mean ours cornerstone we are not about building the kingdom of cornerstone church we are about building the kingdom of God all over the world and then it says this means that we need to be on mission to make disciples and that starts by sharing your story about his story so Scott's going to come up and he's going to share a little bit about just this vision that he has for how we can get better at telling God's story I think your mic is back there and I'm going to go do something about the fact that it's really hot in here
1: let's pray Father, I pray that, uh, that the burden that you feel for the lost, would you download that into our hearts. Would we receive your burden? Would we carry that burden with you? Lord, if we're already carrying that burden, Lord, I pray that you would intensify that in Jesus' name. That we would get past our comfort zones and we would get uncomfortable and be willing to pour ourselves out like a drink offering for the lost, for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, I think it was three weeks ago, we're sitting at a table over there, and during service, the Lord just downloaded this idea to me. So, this is not my idea. This is what I believe. The Lord showed this to me, all right? So, I just want to, we're going to cast a little vision of what of what we've been working on behind the scenes. It's pretty cool, pretty excited about this. Everyone that we've shared this with has uh, got really positive things to say as well. So um, I want you to think about a couple things real quick. Um, And I want want you to think about if you were looking through the ads and you were looking at a job and the job description was talking about what's required to be able to do the job. (laughs) Who here has been driving down the road and they see that guy with phones on the side of the road and he's got that big sign he's doing the flipping you see that guy you see him do the like he does like some cool tricks right he or she uh what that person's doing is they're pointing traffic to like a payday or something really really exciting he's not the he's grabbing people's attention but he's not the point of focus what's on the sign what he's pointing to is the point of focus In Matthew 4, we see Jesus call Peter and Andrew. He says, drop your nets, boys, and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so the job description of us as believers is we are to be fishers of men. We are to be about the people business, to draw people in, to roll around with a sign, to do all the twists. But we're not pointing to ourselves. We're pointing to our master. You see, the the Bible says that there's a great wedding feast, there's a great banquet, and we get the pleasure of inviting people, going out in the highways and byways, inviting people to this wedding feast, and when the master's saying, hey, let's go, let's go throw the signs, one person's like, well, I just bought a field, let me go take care of that real quick, <laughs> and he talks to another guy, and he's like, hey, let's go throw the signs, let's, let's do the stuff, and he's like, oh, I, I got five yoke of oxen, let me go check, let me, let me go take care of that real quick another one's like, well, you, will you throw the sign? And he's like, I I just got married. Hang on a second. Let me take care of some stuff. I'll be right back. You see, we can let this life get in the way of what we're really designed to be, which is the cool sign flipper people, right? You guys, we should be really excited about working the harvest. And so I get to... Share a vision of, of of what this could look like in a real. Instead of like flipping signs and looking crazy on the side of the road, <laughs> hopefully this looks a little bit less intimidating. So I'm going to share with you something called Project Engage, and uh, and it's pretty cool. So um, what what we have going on is we are developing some stuff on the IT side, and there's ways to get involved. But essentially, if you just remember what uh, Brother Josh shared at the beginning of this. Of this time together in Revelation chapter 12. It says the saints, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the the word of their testimony. You guys, your testimony is extremely powerful, and it's extremely damaging to the enemy. What we don't do enough is share that testimony. So what I want to do is cultivate an opportunity collectively where we make this reflex habit, where we're sharing our testimony ongoing all the time is just part of a culture of what we do and so this is an an example of what this could look like so what would it look like to write on a piece of paper how you have experienced God in your life it could have been when you were originally saved right your original testimony or how he, he engaged with you yesterday right But you're writing to an audience that you're going to actually hand this out to someone throughout your week. That's the goal, okay? So picture that. And what if all you could do was write, you know, if you were like, man, I've got writer's block, I don't know what to write. What if all you wrote was, Jesus loves me, and I know he loves you too. And that's all you could do. Like, that's cool. That will work. That's enough, okay? So you don't have to have the Hemingway hand to, to do this and be part of it. So what would it look like to get out of our comfort zones, write something about how God has been showing himself and revealing himself to you personally, and then the intent is to hand this to either a friend who needs to hear that, or a complete stranger if you're really daring, right? And so here's an example of what this, uh, Christian, are you you able to hand these out, or did you already, oh, he already did, you're the man. So you have one of these at your table, and so this is a mock up, okay, this whole thing right now is conceptual right now, it's going to get better as we go but it is functional right now. So uh, we made, made some technology integrations into this, and so what you have is this letter, and all of these letters will have a QR code in the bottom of it, okay? And so you have limited time to engage with a stranger when you're out and about, but they can continue that conversation by going to that QR code. So I want everyone to take out their cell phones. If you've got a QR code reader, if you know what that is, cool, you're probably younger than me, right? If you have a QR code reader, uh, just pull that up, and you'll see it's going to open up a website. <clears throat> Again, this is probably going to change by the time we roll out, but I just wanted it to be functional for today. And so this is, this is live. This is, this is what happens after they have that initial engagement. They can then go and continue a virtual engagement and a virtual conversation ongoingly, okay? So um, we can go to the next slide. What they end up with, they land on this page is where it's, where it's seated right now, they got to look at that guy. I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, and what we're going to do is I'm going to just play a short video, and we're going to, it's not working. Like, the audio is not connected to the screen. So this, this and I'm actually going to play the video on my phone. So you're going to hear the audio from my phone. So it might not be perfectly synced. And I was told, like, we're going to have to wait a week. But I'm just not willing. So the next slide is going to be a video. And it might be unsynced because we're doing it this way. Cool? So check it out, here's kind of what this is. Hello, my name is Scott McAllister, and welcome to Project Engage. As you know, you were handed a handwritten note by either a friend or a stranger, and in that note, they described their engagement, their encounter with the God of the Bible. And their motivation behind this was compassion and love. They want you to know about this, this God who loves you as well. And so, what is Project Engage? Essentially what it is is it's a series of videos, five minutes or less, where uh, you're going to go on a virtual tour to discover this God of the Bible who loves you, who cares about you, and is pursuing you. I'm going to introduce you to more friends along the way where they will also just share in, in, in this journey of expressing God and just sharing how he is already Um, made provision for us to know him and experience him and 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 feel his love so i don't know your background i don't know you know what your upbringing is you may have been raised in church you may have never set foot in church you may have never touched the bible but that's okay you're at the right place because this is a private journey where you can you can go on this in the privacy of your own home or wherever you're at uh, and it's non-confrontational you just you know if you don't like what you're hearing you, you can just hit stop and so um but if you're curious on whether god loves you whether he exists uh then then i would challenge you with the challenge that god actually offers in the bible he says if you seek me with all of your heart you will surely find me and he doesn't say you might find me or it's a maybe he says you absolutely surely will find me so if you're wondering this very question of whether god exists whether this life even has any meaning or purpose Whether you have any value and whether you're loved, you are at the right place. And so um, you know, just just hit the link below where it says next engagement and check it out. Check it out for yourself and see whether uh, God will make himself known to you. Because I promise you, if you seek him with all of your heart, you will surely find him. So I'm glad you're here. uh, And we'll see you on the other side. Take care. So that's, that's the vision for Project Engage. That's what I saw in my mind three weeks ago. And so it's pretty close to actually being live. We're not far from actually being able to do this. So what what the expectation is in the not-so-distant future is that probably on the entry table, there will be sheets with the QR code and all that stuff already done, and it's just blank. And then you get to take them and actually write testimonies on it and then hand them out. So there's three ways to get involved. Uh, number one, we ask for prayer. Would you pray for this ministry? Would you pray for all those who are going to receive these these engagements in the future, pray for their hearts that uh, that um, that they would be willing to hear the gospel and receive the Lord. Um, also, pray for behind the scenes what's what's going on because that's video number one. We've got like a plan for like twenty of these five minute videos as phase one. So um, pray for that. Pray that we have clarity on what uh, what's most important, what we want to say, because we're going to do things like what is sin, and we're going to explain that in five minutes or less. We're going to talk about um, Why can the Bible be trusted in five minutes or less? You know, these are the things that that person will experience along the way. So um, it's also something that's very much not just a cornerstone thing. This is inner uh, inner church relational. We're going to be reaching out to other church leaders and get them to actually produce content as well. So this is something that other churches can leverage and this sheet with the QR code will all all be downloadable, and then other congregations can do the same. So this this has potential to have a lot of impact and go very far. We also want to see on the tail end of this, people have uh, congregations and churches to connect to in their area. So if it ends up going out of state in other areas, then we want to build relationships with other churches and have those links of how to get in touch with those congregations as well so that's kind of where we're at right now Um, you absolutely could be praying for for this ministry the next thing is if you're willing to write an engagement uh, just be thinking about it if you want to start typing it out and working on it now uh, that would be good because the sheets will be ready to be able to write these things out it's important that we handwrite these it gives it a, a a way of just feeling personal we don't have a lot of handwritten stuff in in this technological age so i think that that's important uh, the third thing that you could do is be willing to hand out engagements. So you might be like, well, I'll write one, but I'm not willing to hand them out. Totally cool. Turn them into us. We'll get them in the hands of people who will hand them out. Is that, does that make sense? Is that fair? So who feels challenged by this? Who feels like this is crazy? I've never done anything like this? Okay. Who feels like, you know what? Even though it is crazy, I feel like I should do it. Like I want to try it. Sweet. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's Project Engage, guys. Keep praying, um, and we're working our tails off to get this functional ASAP. So, God bless you guys.
0: Awesome. Yeah, praise the Lord. Because you have, you have. Carrie, Carrie just whispered in my ear. Um, she's like, this, this, and and, and, and and Scott and his leadership and his vision for this is an answer to a prayer that we've been praying for literally years. Um, that we would, that we would, ha- we would get trained in being on mission and so this is gonna this is gonna keep coming back up like this this sheet is not a one-off we're gonna be talking about this a lot so get ready and get engaged with that i because today's message is entitled staying faithful to the end i thought i would end each point by going to the end of the bible all right so that was part of why um, i had josh read the calling passage in revelation 12 so go to revelation chapter one and let's look at the point, we're made, the first point is, so how do we stay faithful in a faithless world? One is by living a life of priority. Now look at Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 1. And I promise you, my last two points go much faster than the first one. I, I know I say that all the time. Because you never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do between now and then. But it's on you people to be praying. I said that a few weeks ago. That if you would pray that I would quickly say these things, I don't mean speed, I mean efficiently, um, then we wouldn't go so long. Um, there's just so much hear, to share, like, is the, um, so so it says, so in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by the sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud these words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep. What is written in it, for the time is near. Now jump down to verse eight. This is Jesus speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty One. Now, what does that have to do with the point of living a life of priority? Because the the next I taught through Revelation in 2019. That's not what this this the Sunday is not about, Revelation. But Jesus teaches in the next two chapters, chapter two and three, what's wrong with the church. And what's wrong with the church is their priorities got out of whack. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words to him who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patience, your endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So he's like, man, I know you're doing good, guys. You're, you're trying to stick to the truth of my word I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and I know that you have not grown weary but I have this against you church that you have abandoned the love you had at first remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first if not I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent so his point is guys You're doing all the right stuff, but you've lost your heart for me. I'm not a means to the end. I am the end you are seeking. So get there. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 14. That's the only other one I'm going to read. And then we'll move on to point 2. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write this. "The The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I would rather you either be hot or cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich and you have prospered and need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, uh, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he finishes up with, he says, Behold, in verse 20, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. Guys, the, the place he's standing isn't your unsaved neighbor. He's standing at the door of the church. Why? Because there's a lot of lost people in there. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and him with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on the throne. And I also conquered, and I sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So how do we stay faithful? We stay faithful by having our priorities right. By having our heart seeking first and foremost after him, and second, by, by not being distracted by doing things the world's way. Right? Too much of the church has entered, or too much of the world has entered into the church, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. And the second thing is that we have to live lives of praise. So back to Nehemiah, and I apologize, I'm not sure why my mic's doing that again, but it just is what it is. Um, Back to to Nehemiah, and let's look at, so again, how do we stay faithful in a faithless world? One, we have to have our priorities right. The second thing is we have to have a heart, like we have to live a life of praise. I'm just going to show you a couple of quick things in chapters 11 and 12. Look at chapter 11, verse 22 and 23. He says, the overseers and the Levites in Jerusalem, the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, and and the son of Hashabiah, the son of... Um, Mataniah, the son of Micah, and, the son, and the, of the sons of Asaph. Now, do you remember who Asaph was? Asaph was who? He wrote several of the Psalms. Why? He was David's music leader. So in 500 years before this happened, so he's pointing back to, oh, remember that guy Asaph that used to lead all the music that, that, that we worship to nowadays? He was like the Chris Tomlin or the Christian Stanfield of his day. Remember that dude? Like, that's, we're still singing his songs. Awesome. We probably still won't be singing Chris Tomlin's and Christian Sandfield songs later, but that's a different story. Um, For there was a command for the king. So one, he's saying, man, this has always been part of our history. And then look at verse 23. For there was a command from the king, the king, the Persian king, the lost king, who gave Nehemiah permission. He's like, there was a command from the king concerning them and fixed provision for the singers as every day required. They were paid to lead music. Don't get any ideas, music team. now turn to chapter twelve and verse twenty-seven. It says, "At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites and the priests in their high places. Look at the end of the verse, and they began praising him in, with singing and with cymbals, harps, and lyres." Guys, do you know that there's twenty-two instruments mentioned in the Word of God? So, if you are to have attended a church, or your background is... Yeah, the only church, the only instrument that should be in the church is an organ. That is a completely cultural thing, not a biblical one. Because they were banging it hard in the Bible. Drums are not Satan's workshop. Just so you know that. But let's pray that our drummer keeps it under control. Okay. Now, now, but, but not to leave out just the instruments. The very next verse, he says, and the sons of the singers gathered... So here's these musical instruments. What are they all gathering to do? Here's what they're all gathering to do. In the interest of time, I'm not going to read it to you, but in verses 37 through basically 43, here's what happens. They're praising God. They're living this life of praise. They're going, this has always been part of our lives. And Ezra takes half of the people, and he leads them around the city on the wall. That's how big the wall was. He leads them around the city with music and instruments and singing and praising. And Nehemiah takes the other half of the people, and he goes the other way. And they meet in the middle, and they're having this amazing worship experience. And look at what it says in verse 33. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had had made them rejoice with great joy. The woman and the children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. Here's the question. Is your joy in Jesus heard from far away? That's the question. All that is about, wait, I don't play an instrument, I can't sing a lick, welcome to my world, has nothing to do with worship. Worship happens when we turn our mind's attention and heart's affection on God and praise him for who he is and what he does. That's worship. Where is he? John Jeff shows up here every morning around 7.30 to set these tables and chairs. That is an act of worship. You know why? Because while he's doing it, you know what he's doing? He's praising God. Right? Worship happens when we set our mind's attention and heart's affection on God and just praise him. It's not about music. Guys, it's why we don't call Sean the deacon over our worship team. Because what would be implied in that? What would be implied in that is I'm not worshiping right now. We only worship when he's up here, when the music team's up here. We call it the music team. Because worship and music are not the same thing. Yes, we worship with music. And we also worship with the word of God. If you're telling me that I'm not... Guys, the only sermons worth hearing out of here, out of this voice is when the Word of God is when I'm worshiping with you through God's Word. Like, that's it. Like I, the, the best sermons are when the pre- pastor is worshiping with his people. This is an act of worship right now, or I shouldn't be up here. Right, And so, so we have to get our eyes off, but we, but we also have to ask the question, are you living a life of praise? Like, are you known as the most positive, and I don't mean rainbows and unicorns. We're going to talk more about that when we talk about lamenting. I just mean are you by, are are you joining in the office conversations about all that is wrong in the world today? Or are you quick to enter into the space of going, but you know what? I have a God in heaven who has saved me from what's to come and praise the Lord, I'm going to be with him in eternity and he is laying up treasure in heaven and all of his promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ and so I don't really care about your problem that you think is happening in the world right now. Let me just pray for you because you're the one I care about. Back to the little card. Seven questions we talked about last week. We're gonna keep talking about it. It's not going away, just like, just like Scott's stuff. Guys, all those seven questions are is a description of what a worshiper looks like. That's it. We just try to sit down as leaders and go, what is a life of worship defined by in the Bible? and we came up with these questions. All we're trying to figure out by f- passing out these cards and asking you to turn them in, and we got a ton of them last week, thank you very much, is, is, and if you didn't fill one out, and you're ready to fill one out this week, please fill it out and put it in the offering box. But guys, all we're trying to figure out as, as a family is how can we help each other along on this journey with Jesus. That's what it's about. How can we just all get better at being worshipers? Turn to Revelation 4. I said I'm going to end each point in Revelation, and I'm just going to, so... Revelation, turn to Revelation chapter 4, and I want to show you what worship looks like at the end. How do we stay faithful in a faithless world? How do we, like, endure to the end? Well, this is Revelation. Right? I, again, I taught on it in 2019. I'm not going to teach on it again. All of those messages are online on our website. You can go back and listen to all of them. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, he see, he's describing The setting of what worship in heaven looks like. And remember, filter all of this through someday all that's coming here. All of what we see is coming here in the new heaven and the new earth. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking was to me was like a trumpet, and said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. He's like, here's what worship looks like and at once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne and he who sat on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald and around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and golden crowns for their throne from the throne came flashings of light and rumblings and pearls I'm sorry and peals of thunder and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which were the seven spirits of God. Again, I'm not going, I, t- I taught on all that. Go back and listen to it. But guys, here's the point. He's saying, one, here's what, here's what a life of praise looks like, he- heavenly praise. It is glorious. Like it is, it is un- almost undescribable. A life lived in the praise and the glory of God is almost undescribable. Now look at chapter 5, and he's going to tell us, like here's why it is. Chapter 5, verse 1, then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with it on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. We know that's Jesus. I'm not going to tell you why. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, In between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes that were the seven spirits of God that has sent on the earth. And he went and took the scroll. So Jesus walks up takes the scroll from his father, the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And after he had taken the, four, the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are our prayers, and the, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you, were, you ransomed people from every tribe. And tongue and language, that you may make them a kingdom, pre, a kingdom and priest to our God, and you shall reign on all the earth. Guys, that's what worship looks like. And it just keeps going. This is what worship looks like. Guys, this is what grace does it focuses you. Like, well, here's what a life of praise and worship looks like. It's not about what you're doing. It's about where your focus is. Are you focused on Christ? Are you fully committed? Back to what I talked about, are you willing to let go or are you just holding on to Christ with your pinky? Right? It's it's a complete dedication to kingdom things because ultimately that's all that's going to last. Ultimately that's it. So back to Nehemiah. Guys, remember, all of this, all of your life, is just premarital counseling for the marriage supper of the lamb for what's going to come and that's what we're going to see next. So how do we live a life? How do we stay faithful in a faithless world? One, we have to have our priorities right. Two, we have to live we should be living lives of praise. And the last thing is we do need to live lives of purity. Grace does not make God indifferent to what we do. The Bible's really clear about that. Grace does not make God indifferent about our behavior. But look at what happens so oh before i even before i jump in i'm in verse chapter 13 i don't know if you know this or not but part of why we're trying to help people teach the word so mark this down in your bible the book of malachi which is the last book in your old testament the book of malachi is it's the last book it was right before matthew it fits right between chapters 12 and 13. that's the the words we're about to read in nehemiah 13 are actually the last words recorded in the Old Testament by God's people. It's not Malachi that were the last words. It's Nehemiah 13. Because what happens is, Nehemiah has been there 12 years. He goes back to the king of Persia, because you remember? He promised the king he would come back. While he's gone for somewhere around one to two years, they don't really know for sure how long it was, everything falls apart. And he's like, oh. but if you didn't know this, so, so what Malachi Malachi the theme of the book of Malachi the prophet the reason God sent Malachi to God's people while Nehemiah was gone was because Malachi was a prophet saying here's what true worship looks like and you people aren't doing it So Nehemiah shows back up in the first 3 verses he kind of recapsulates like here's here's the impact that the word of God had. He says, as soon as the people heard the law, I'm in verse 3, they separated from Israel those who were of foreign descent. So he's recapping, but now look at what happens. He says, so this is now, now while I was away, he's going to tell us, he says, now before this, so before I came back and said everything straight again, Eliashib, the priest, who was, the, who was appointed over the chamber of the house of God and who was related to Tobiah. Now do you remember Tobiah. I'm hurrying. We've seen Tobiah before. Right? He was in chapter 2 trying to discourage the people from listening to Nehemiah. He was in chapter 4 attacking God's people. He was in chapter 5 trying to lure Nehemiah into the temple so he could murder him. And Nehemiah was like, yeah, I'm not a priest. I can't go in the temple. Well, neither was Tobiah. He had no business being in the temple. But look what happens. It says, they prepared for Tobiah a large chamber that had previously been that had previously had grain offering in it, the frankincense the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine and oil, which were given by command to the Levite singers and gatekeepers, and the contributions to the priests. So here's what he's saying. While I'm away, they have moved God's stuff out of God's house to make room for Tobiah, the dude that was, going to, that was discouraging us, attacking us, and wanted to kill me. And he says... In verse 8, and when I saw this, I was very angry, <laughs> and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber, and I gave orders that they cleanse the chamber. Guys, here's what Nehemiah is doing. I'm just going to cut to the chase. He is cleaning house. He is cleaning house. He's like, Tobiah, you and your junk are out of here. And then, and then here's what happens in the rest of the chapter. In, in verses 10 through 14, they stopped, they stopped tithing while he was gone. They stopped giving to God's kingdom. In chapters 15 through 22, they stopped Sabbathing. They stopped like having a day of worship to God. In our vernacular, they stopped attending church. They just went, you know what, I don't really, it's just between me and the Lord. I can just stay home. And then verses 23 through 31, they stopped living in purity. That's what the whole rest of the chapter is about. But the point is, Nehemiah is cleaning house. Here's part of our question though. What have we removed from the church? to make room to the, for the things of the world. Guys, in an effort to reach the world, I think in a very good-hearted effort, the seeker-sensitive movement that started back in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was trying to reach down to, and, and grab a hold of the world. They fell in. And all of a sudden, they moved God's stuff out of the church. We don't have room for that. The word might make people feel uncomfortable. Doing communion might make people feel awkward. So we're not going to do those things. We're not going to have those things. We're going to bring a rock concert in because that's what people like. And that will bring people here. That's exactly what happens to Nehemiah's time. But guys, before we start, before our minds start going, oh yeah, I know that church. I know that church. I know that one. There's a whole bunch of them. But I, I'm not speaking of any one church in particular. Right? I'm talking about the church, and we're not immune to it. Because that's my next thing. What have we removed to make room for worldly things? And then the last thing I would say is, what have you not just removed from your life, but here's another way to think of it. What have you grabbed a hold of, especially in the last 12 months with all that's been going on in the world, what have you grabbed a hold of that you no longer have room in your life for Christ? Like, what, like, guys, we're entering into this season of lament, the season of walking to the cross. I've sent out an email, like, four different times this week. If you didn't get them, then you need to fill out one of these so we get your email address. But about what the season we're going into and the idea of fasting. What are we letting go of, during, specifically in the next four weeks before Resurrection Sunday, that we could have more room in our lives to grab a hold of Christ? That's ultimately what Nehemiah, he's like, everybody out, tell by out we got to get back to what really matters so here's what they said remember then oh my i'm in verse 29 i'm sorry remember them oh my god this is how the whole this is how the old testament really ends because they desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and look at verse 31 and the very end of verse 31 and remember me oh my god for good the way the old testament actually ends is nehemiah saying Lord, I did the the best I could at the end of my days to get your people hot-hearted for the things of God, and I'm going to go down swinging. That's the bottom line. They had so polluted their own worship that they had stopped being worshipers. Guys, all of us all the time are worshiping something. All of us all the time are worshiping something, and the only question is what? How do you know what you're worshiping? What has your mind's attention? What holds your heart's affection? Those are the things you're worshiping. And they change moment by moment for all of us, honestly. So anytime you're wondering, like, what am I worshiping in this moment? Ask yourself, what is your mind fixated on? And what has a hold of your heart? Now I'm going to take you one last place in, in Revelation. I'm going to have the music team come up and get ready as we, go, as we go to Revelation 18. So we just skipped all the bad stuff in Revelation. Right? The, the, the plagues the bowls everything else and we're gonna go to Revelation 18 guys. this is the passage that led me to teach Revelation two years ago it wasn't about what was going on in the world I didn't know 2020 was coming it was long before any of that was on our radar it wasn't about the politics it wasn't about any of that it was about the condition of God's people it was about our condition that we can show up and just go through the motions because we because you know what man if he keeps going long I'm out of here because like seriously I got things to do
1: right?
0: now I get if you have little kids there's a whole other reason you would not want me to go long and I apologize for that yet again but look at what it says in Revelation 18 sorry starting in verse one after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was made bright with his glory And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great is just a name for the world system. He goes on to describe it. Now look at verse 4. This is what struck me three years ago. I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Do you understand what he's saying? God is looking down from heaven going, guys, you have fallen into the world. It is not about how bad those people are. What God's concerned about is the spiritual temperature of his people. And he always has been. He always has been. But here's the great part. And I'm just going to read this and, then the, and the music team is going to give us our song of response. And We'll kind of close in a time of prayer. Look at verse, if you're in Revelation, turn to 19 and verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne saying, Amen and Hallelujah. And from the throne came the voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty... Of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god and i fell at my feet to worship him but he said to me you must not do that i am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of jesus worship god for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy father i thank you lord i thank you for the truth that 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 you are about redeeming your people. I thank you that you're the only one that can make us worshipers of you. Lord, I wanna pray that as we continue to respond to what we've just heard, that we would respond like John saw in Revelation, that we would respond saying, the bride has made herself ready that we would be one of those churches that we would be those people who who have made ourselves ready by being on your mission Lord I pray for those that don't know yet what camp they're in whether they're sitting here right now or they're just a world out there that doesn't know I pray that you would use us to invite them in to the marriage supper of the Lamb so that They too would be saved from the wrath to come. I pray this in Jesus' name for your glory alone.